More and more women are running for political office, not just in the United States, but around the world. That's a major step forward for gender equality. But that doesn't mean that all the differences go away. Quite the opposite. It turns out that when it comes to making policies, women elected officials don't do it the same way as their male counterparts. And that's not due to their personal preferences. It's all about continuing gender discrimination by the voters. That's according to Clemence Tricot. She is an assistant professor of economics at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. Hello again, I'm Warren Alney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast of UCLA Anderson. Professor Tricot, welcome. Good to have you. Thank you so much. Hi, Warren. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. So you studied the 2020 elections in Brazil just as the COVID crisis was getting underway. Why was that such a good time and a good place to compare men with women elected officials? Well, as we all know well, COVID was largely unexpected. So all politicians suddenly had to face this pandemic and decide what to do. And of course, their actions were closely followed by us, the public, the voters. So this is a context where policies are highly salient for voters. Now, this is true all over the world. Uh, so why focusing? Contrary to most countries in Brazil, COVID policies were largely decided at a very local level. So mayors were the ones to decide whether or not to close the economy. In other countries, it was mainly decided at a more regional or even national level. So why it's interesting that it's at a very local level? Because it means that we can look at mayor's decisions in more than 5,000 municipalities. Brazil has a lot of municipalities. And so we have a very large sample of places. And so we can compare municipalities that are very similar in where they're located, in their density, in the composition of the population, but where some have a female mayor and some have a male mayor. So we can compare female versus male municipalities. So municipalities that are uh, similar in every aspect, except for the gender of their mayor. And this is something what we want to reach as economists to establish causation rather than a correlation. So maybe you, you remember early in the pandemic, there were some newspaper articles claiming that uh, women were doing better, largely taking as example New Zealand. Now, I think it's a great example of where correlation might not uh, mean causation. Namely, you know, was New Zealand doing better because it was ruled by a woman or for other reasons that make this country uh, unique? Of course, in that case, the woman involved was the prime minister of New Zealand. Yes, exactly. This is in some sense the issue because we're looking at a very high level. So we're comparing countries, right? And so to know whether it's really due to the gender of the ruler, you would want to duplicate New Zealand to have another country that is exactly as New Zealand, but where you would put a male prime minister. And then we could compare. I would love to be able to do that. But basically, this is the thought experiment. And so to do this, you have to go at a more local level where you have a lot of districts. And so here, municipalities. And when you can take municipalities that are very similar, but that differ in the gender of their mayor. Okay, I understand. So once again, then uh, you can't compare the nations, but you can compare the municipalities in Brazil. So you found that the cities that have female mayors saw more deaths from COVID at the beginning of the crisis than the male mayors did. But later on in the year, the cities with the female mayors had fewer deaths. Why do you think that was? 
Yes, yeah, so this is, uh, you know, the, the first main result of the paper. So we basically look at COVID-19 death at the municipal level during the year uh, 2020. And as you said, we see more deaths where you have a female mayor at the beginning of the year, fewer deaths at the end. The first thing to note is that, again, we're comparing municipalities that are similar except in the gender of the mayor. So if we see difference in death rate, we can attribute this to decisions made by the mayor. So to provide more evidence of this, we not only look at deaths, we also look at policies. To do so, we looked at all the laws and decrees that municipalities published online. And what we see is that at the beginning of the pandemic, female mayors were less likely to close the economy and in particular to close non-essential businesses. Whereas later in the year, after the first wave, they became more likely to close the economy. And so we also see this reversal, not only looking at deaths, but policies. You're assuming that the policies had something to do with the death rate. We're not making any claim on, you know, the fact that closing non-essential businesses as a direct link to death. What we say is that, you know, it's additional evidence that the difference in deaths we find is due to mayor's actions. Now, mayor's actions, I think they go beyond what we can observe with our policy indicators. But, you know, it suggests that indeed they did things differently. So why do you think they did? Why did they change their policies from the beginning to the later stage of the crisis? This is the fascinating question. And what we really, you know, add with this paper is what can explain this? I mean, it was a surprising result for us to see this reversal, to see that female mayors were behaving differently, but not always in the same direction. So we start thinking about why it could come from, and we start thinking about the incentives politicians face, right? So politicians generally, they want to get reelected. And in Brazil, interestingly, the new municipal election was at the end of the year 2020. So it means that from the early start of the pandemic, the mayors knew that they will face their electorate at the end of the year and that they will likely be assessed based on how they handled the crisis. Now, why women and men would you know, react differently? Well, perhaps because it takes something more for women to get reelected compared to men. We looked at the evidence in psychology, sociology and political science, and there is a lot of evidence showing that people tend to evaluate female leaders less favorably than male leaders. They generally find women less fit for leadership roles, and they're also more likely to punish uh, women for mistakes. Now, if you take this as a starting point, you can start to explain our results. So at the beginning of the pandemic, you can think, you know, February, March, we had no clue about how bad COVID will be. Voters didn't know whether containment policies were needed. So in this context, there is a high risk for the politician to close the economy too early for nothing. And this risk is arguably even higher for women who are more likely to be punished for doing too much too early. And so this means that women have a higher incentive to wait and see and not to close too early at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, what about later in the year? So on the reverse, when you are, you know, after the summer, after the first wave that has been particularly deadly in Brazil, now voters know how deadly COVID is. They are more willing to accept containment policies. They know that those policies are needed. Now, in this case, women have to do more than men to show that there are strong leaders tackling the crisis. And so this time, they are more likely to be punished for doing too little. And so they have an incentive to do more than men. And so if you take this assumption on like voters' biases, on the way they perceive female versus male leaders, you can rationalize why they did things differently and also differently across time. How do you measure the attitude of the voters and how do you bring that then into the picture as a very important issue? In this paper, we don't provide direct evidence of those uh, voter bias. In some sense, we assume them and then we look at whether the results are consistent with this explanation. 
So how do we provide you know, additional results that they are consistent with the explanation I just gave you? I think the first uh, main test we do is to look at mayors who can get reelected and those who cannot get reelected. Basically, you know, all the explanation I gave you is really based on the fact that politicians want to get reelected because they want to get reelected. They care about how voters see them. Now, interestingly, in Brazil, mayors have a two term limit. So this means that some mayors in 2020, they could not run again, whereas other mayors were facing reelection. And so if my interpretation is the correct one, we should see that, you know, female and male mayors behave differently only when they run for re-election. And this is what we find. Basically, when we look at politicians who are term limited, they cannot run again. Then we do not find gender differences. We find that men and women behave exactly the same way. So they behave differently only when they face their voters at the end of the year. And so for us, this is a key evidence showing that the differences we find are not due to the fact that men and women are fundamentally different, that they have fundamentally different preferences, but it comes from the fact that men and women are adapting their choices in response to voters' expectations. In some sense here, we're trying to approach what you said about measuring voter bias, basically to look at whether we see that female mayors are behaving differently, particularly in municipalities where we expect voters to be gender biased. So the idea here is that my interpretation is that female mayors are behaving differently because voters uh, see them differently. And so the more voters see them differently, the more they have incentive to behave differently. Now, how do we try to capture voters' bias at the municipal level? We look at inequalities on the labor market. So we look at municipalities where women are paid less than men. So we look at the gender wage gap. And so we look at municipalities where this gap is the highest. We also look at municipalities where women tend to work less than men. And what we see, according to the interpretation I gave you, is that female mayors tend to behave differently than male mayors, particularly in places that are more gender inequal. And so again, this is, you know, a supportive evidence that they really respond to voters' bias rather than to their own uh, preferences. So I go back to what I said at the very outset, that you say the study of political economics is not about what people claim, but about looking at what they actually do. So what you're suggesting is that whatever the mayors are saying about how they intend to deal with the COVID epidemic, their real motivation is getting reelected. You know, that's actually, unfortunately, not a new result in, in political economy. You have actually... Uh, several papers that, you know, compare mayors who are term limited to mayors who are facing re-election. And there is a bit, you know, two different forces. So when you face re-election, you have to respond to your voters. So it makes you accountable, which can be good, right? So you have papers showing that mayors who are term limited are more corrupt because, you know, they don't care. They're not facing their voters. So why not? But on the other hand, when you face your voters, you also want to comply to what they expect from you. And this is not necessarily what is best for society. And this is a tricky question. And this is where we see how important it is for voters to be informed, because the more informed voters are, uh, the more their expectations are uh, likely to be aligned with what is best for everyone. You have to give the mayors a break, though. They certainly do have to believe in protecting public health. And that may be a lesser motivation for how they deal with public policy, uh, but certainly that's part of what they're doing. 
Yes, no, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not saying it was easy for them. We still don't have a good understanding of what was the optimal thing to do, right? I think like the main message of the paper is that, you know, electoral incentives matter. Like the fact that you're facing your voters make you do things differently. And more importantly, it pushes women and men to do things differently just because voters expect different things from them due to like the still presence of gender norms and, and stereotypes. So you found gender bias in Brazil where you could measure it because COVID was dealt with on a municipal level. Now, that's not true here. But are your findings still applicable in this country? Is there gender bias that has an impact on how women elected officials behave in the U.S.? This is a very interesting question. This is going, of course, beyond what I can show, I can really say. So disclaimer, here I'm going beyond my results and what I've shown. Let's give my personal take on this, you know, I think that as long as uh, there is still some gender norms and stereotypes in society, these results, to my mind, would apply in any society where you still have those inequalities, discrimination and gender norms. And, you know, it goes also beyond politics, basically, as long as people tend to perceive women and men differently and to attribute different things to, to men and women, then women have incentive to behave differently. So one example, you know, it has been shown, and for instance, in the US, that women in the labor force tend to negotiate less their salary. They're less likely to enter into negotiations. Now, it has been interpreted as the fact that, for instance, women are less competitive or that they have a lower taste for uh, negotiating. But other evidence still in the US also show that when women in the workplace initiate negotiations, they are more likely to face backlash from their superiors. So now, is it a preference story or is it, you know, an incentive story? If I expect to face more backlash, it's rational for me not to do it. And so I think this insight, you know, goes beyond politics and beyond Brazil. So as long as, you know, people assess differently what women and men are doing, then there is incentives for behaving differently. You're not in the business of making predictions, but uh, I have to ask you, how long you think this is going to continue to go on? How many generations do you think it takes before they are treated the same way as men elected officials are? I would say, unfortunately, many, many. At the same time, I think, you know, that there is hope it will happen in the sense that, you know, if we think that everything is due like purely to preferences and that women are making different decisions that can even harm themselves just because they're different, then it's really hard to think about any policies that could help. And you might even conclude that there is no need for policy and that inequalities will remain. On the reverse, you know, if you believe my interpretation that women are doing things differently due to the presence of gender discrimination and gender norms, then there is room for policies to address those biases. Now, these are policies that take a lot of time because I'm mainly thinking about educational policies, right? So this is really at the very young age that we have to tackle those issues to, to make society less biased, to not to make people think differently of men and, and women. So it's policies, educational, institutional policies. It could also be, you know, policies that make it easier for women to access political offices, as you said, because, you know, the more people will be confronted with female leadership, the less weird it will be for them. And maybe they will update and see that female politicians are as good as male politicians. All of this, unfortunately, takes a lot of time. 
But there is evidence in the literature that it helps. So there are some papers, in particular in India, by Esther Duflo and co-authors, uh, showing that when you have a female elected officials at a local level, then the population starts, you know, changing their views about uh, women and have less stereotypes about women. So hopefully it will happen, but slowly. Let me go back to your laboratory example in Brazil, where the women mayors who were up for re-election were more likely to close down things because of COVID as the crisis developed. As a result, did the women mayors get re-elected? We find at the end that a female mayor were as likely to get re-elected as male mayor in 2020. So there is no gender differences in their re-election in 2020. And, you know, we see that as an additional piece of evidence confirming our theory. So namely, what we show is that female mayors during 2020, they implemented policies closer to what voters were expecting. So because of their fear of being more punished. So at the beginning, they closed less because voters were more skeptic about the need for containment policies. And at the end, they closed more because we knew how bad COVID was. And so they did more to preserve uh, health. And despite doing all of this, they have the same re-election probability. And so basically this suggests that female mayors like optimized their uh, policies in order to compensate for voter bias and in order to get the same re-election probability as men. Well, how do you know it was because of voter bias that they made those decisions rather than because they figured out that public health needed more protection than they thought at the beginning of the crisis? Yeah, so, you know, an alternative explanation, but that we believe cannot explain our results, I tell you why, is that, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, women were more cautious, so they decided to wait and learn. And towards the end of the year, they wanted to preserve health more, and so they implemented more containment policies. So this would, you know, account for the reversal. Now, it would not account for the fact that this is true only for women who are facing re-election. Indeed, when we look at men and women who are term limited, who are not facing re-election, in this case, women are not behaving differently. Men and women are behaving the same way. And so the fact that it's only driven by those who are facing re-election is really showing that it's due to electoral incentives and not just to the fact that women had different views or preferences on the crisis. And once again, you're able to measure that in Brazil because they have that two-term limit. So some of the mayors had to run for re-election and others didn't, and they behaved differently. Exactly. So this is thanks to the two-term limit that exists in Brazil. It's hard, I think, for non-academics to understand how you measure such a thing as a gender bias. So elaborate a bit on that, if you will. So what my study is doing is not quantifying voters' bias, but rather first showing gender differences in leaders' behavior, so showing that female and male mayors handled the crisis differently, and then showing that the way they handled it differently and who handled it differently, so the one running for re-election, is consistent with the presence of voters' bias and is best explained by a story based on voters' bias. Now, how to measure voters' bias more directly? So this has been done in other studies and mostly in political science or psychology, where you do that in lab experiment, right? So you have people come to your lab and you give them vignette experiments. So basically you show them what a politician did, and then you just vary the gender of the politician. To, to some people, you give them a picture of a woman and to some other, a picture of a man. And then you see whether you have, you know, differences in how people assess uh, the actions of uh, politicians depending on their gender. 
And so this is what uh, is giving insight on the fact that there is a virus bias. And this is the starting point of the paper in trying to interpret uh, my results. Now, what I think is interesting in my paper is that going beyond lab experiment, I, I look at real world decisions by leaders and I can show, you know, that they're again, best explained by the presence of those virus bias that have been identified in other contexts. So that's why you said earlier that you made the assumption of gender bias, and that's how you were able to make that assumption. Exactly. So it's based on a large body of work in different disciplines, providing evidence of it. So I talked about lab experiment, but you have also actually uh, papers in economics using uh, actual voting data. And for instance, you have a paper in Italy showing that female mayors are more likely to get their term terminated in places where you have more inequalities on the labor market. So in places where you expect voters to judge women more harshly, these are places where women tend to see their terms terminated. You have also a recent working paper showing that, again, in Italy, women mayors are more likely to be the victim of violent attacks by people in their municipality. They're more likely to be attacked uh, when they do something wrong compared to male mayors. You know, also evidence outside of politics. So again, a recent paper, uh, this time uh, looking at surgeons, so in the medical sector, uh, showing that uh, female surgeons are more likely to be blamed for mistake than their male uh, counterparts. I asked you this earlier, but I can't help but ask it again. What do you think the future holds? I think we're being more and more aware of the existence of those biases. You know, for instance, in universities, we have to take training. We have to like self-assess our own biases. So even when you think you're not biased, you might realize that you are. And, you know, it helps because then in the classroom, you can be extra careful, for instance. I think it's slowly getting in the workplace too. I think we see more and more discussions in society about the existence of those biases. And we know they're hard to detect and that even if people claim that they are not biased, I think we all are uh, to some extent. This awareness, you know, is the first step because if we, you know, all agree that those biases exist, then we can also recognize that maybe, you know, women but also other minorities are facing different incentives and that we should be careful in creating an environment that help them make the same decisions as anyone else. And so I'm generally hopeful that we're going in the right direction and that this awareness is, is the first step, but that we also need, you know, more educational policies. We need to talk with our children about this. We need to be extremely careful as parents in the way uh, we talk about women, men and different people in general. So once again, more and more women are running for elective office. But still gender bias on the part of voters, something all of us, I think, need to be cautious about and be conscious of. Professor Clemence Tricot, thank you so much for being on our program. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, I'm Moran Alney. Join us again for How the World Works. Music.